readings come today from four readings from four books from the Common Bible, English Bible. The first comes from the book of Matthew, chapter 22, verses 37 through 39. Jesus replied, you must love your God with all your heart, with all your being, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. You must love your neighbor as you love yourself. The second reading comes from the book of Acts, chapter 2, verses 46 through 47. They shared food with gladness and simplicity. They praised God and demonstrated God's goodness to everyone. God added daily to the community those who were being saved. The third comes from the book of Micah, chapter 6, verse 8. God has told you, human one, what is good and what is required of you to do justice, embrace faithful love, and walk humbly with your God. The fourth and final reading comes from the book of Matthew, chapter 28, verses 16 through 20. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus told them to go. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Jesus came near and spoke to them. I've received all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the creator and of the Christ and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. Look, I myself will be with you every day until the end of this present age. The word of God for the people of God. Amen and amen. Let us pray. God, we thank you for an opportunity to gather in spaces that are not bound by walls or borders, but spaces that are brought together by the Holy Spirit, joining us one to another. We ask that that spirit would be opening up our hearts, our minds, and our souls, that it would guide the words of my mouth, the meditations of all of our hearts, so they're acceptable to you. God, we thank you for this day and continue to allow us to do good things with it. We pray all this in the name of Christ and God's people say, amen. How is it the end of January already? Oh my goodness. Uh, it is, uh, you, when we were, wasn't it just Christmas? It feels like it was just Christmas and now we're turning the page into February uh, tomorrow. And then not only that is we're on our fourth week already of talking about this new mission, possible mission statement. And all, I mean, when we were planning this out months ago, the, uh, the envisioning task force, I mean, I, I think, you know, we're looking far ahead and, now January's through and you all have been meeting in small groups and 
Uh, we are now in our last pillar. We're last week. You'll have one more week of this, and hopefully that's brewed some things inside of you and sparked some conversations. And um, I want to, we'll be, well, today is the fourth one. Um, but before I get into that, I uh, do want to do kind of what I've been doing these last Sundays. If you haven't been with us, as also to just reinforce what we're doing. Um, you know, I, I do want to say again to you that uh, Matthew passage, well done, good and faithful servant. Uh, I think, you know, acknowledging that the work that we're doing is good work. Uh, we're doing this in the midst of a lot of chaos in the world. I know a lot of people are struggling. A lot of folks are tired. Uh, there's not just COVID pandemic, but just life is happening around us. Uh, there's a lot of struggle, but yeah, we're doing this. And um, wherever we end up in the next few months and years, uh, this has been a good season in, in doing with what we could with it. And so uh, remember that as we continue to move forward. Um, Again, if you are joining us and you haven't been with us these past weeks, uh, I encourage you to go back and listen to the sermon from January 9th, uh, and that gives a little bit about what we're doing and how we got here and why we're doing this. Uh, all of the links are on the YouTube and Instagram and all that. You can listen to them, uh, but I encourage you to go do that uh, because we're looking at this possible new mission statement uh, about who we're going to be in the future. Uh, and again, I'm going to just read it out loud. You can see it on the screen, but you'll read it. So drawn together by God, we strive to be a Christian community committed to disrupting injustice, seeking wisdom, practicing empathy, and expressing the beauty of the divine. That that gathered by God in those four pillars, uh, this is a possible mission for us. And just to remind you about why it's set up the way it is, uh, there's an order to it. There's not a, it's not random. It's not alphabetical. It's, it flows with worship. We are gathered. We confess uh, about things that need to happen in the world. We listen and we go practice and then we go share. And so um, that's the, 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 the order. It's active. Uh, it is uh, it, it is who this place is. Folks have asked me, um, you know, where do we get these kinds of things? And part of it is uh, I've been with you now for almost three years, my goodness gracious. Uh, I think I know you all as much as I'm going to get to know you. And as we thought about these pillars, these grow out of who this church has been. So this isn't, these shouldn't be surprises uh, to you. Uh, but it is focused on growth, on what it means, as we've heard over and over again, folks want to grow this church, not just for survival, though I know that that's part of it, uh, but also because of impact. Uh, we had four focus texts you've been hearing throughout, uh, or three focus texts, and then you get one for each pillar. So those are what you've heard each Sunday, the last uh, four Sundays. Again, the first part of, this, of the mission statement, possible mission statement, is being drawn together and that we are called into this worship space, that we are gathered by God, acknowledging that the churches, communities, oftentimes we gather here and these are communities that we would never gather with, you know, for the, as much as we probably would in other places, right? You're gathered together with people that you wouldn't normally gather with. So um, that's the drawn together by God part. We can go ahead and for, get to that slide. Is that moving? There we go. And then the next one, the first pillar is disrupting injustice. 
So uh, again, that was a, seems like forever ago, but uh, how do we make the world a better place, right? That is the confession, those things. And, and it isn't just about um, acknowledging, but actually being in it. Like, and this is the prophetic word. Like, what are we gonna do? How are we gonna be active uh, as we have been in the past? The next one was seeking wisdom. How do we do this well, right? How do we make sure that we don't go into the world assuming that we know everything that should happen, uh, but that's listening to the spirit, listening to the word, uh, how we move through the world to make sure that it represents um, thoughtfulness and faithfulness and intellect. And so that's, that's that one. And then last week we looked at practicing empathy and what does it mean to get to know one another, to meet one another where we are, both in, uh, we talked about small groups as well as deacons, but just in a way to care for and meet the bodies around us uh, in ways that uh, you have done in the past, but we really wanna focus on if we're gonna grow. And then today uh, we're looking at uh, expressing the beauty of the divine. A lot of folks are like, well, what does that mean? I think a lot of these folks are like, well, what does that mean? And that's why we're doing this series is to help us see this a little bit more. So this one again is about, uh, this is the sending piece, right? This is the end of worship where you're sent into the world. It's sharing this kind of amazing story that we have together and expressing it in the complexity that it is, right? That it's, it's not just one particular story, but it's a, a story that has texture and depth and that there's beauty in that, that we have claimed and we, we live and we want to share with the world. So those are the pieces now. So today I want to focus on expressing the beauty of the divine, this last one. So um, there, this one, we'll, uh, we'll go ahead and cut the, we'll go to just me, there you go. Um, so here's the thing with expressing the beauty of the divine. You know, like your children and like family, you shouldn't really have a favorite one. But you have ones that you gravitate towards, that I connect with. This is mine. This is the one that I, uh, that gives me the most life. I know folks may think, it, it was funny, after um, the first one, the Disrupting Injustice, they're like, well, you're really excited about that one. I'm like, well, I hope I'm excited about all of them at a certain level, because these are all influencing who we are to be as a community, that, we're, that we are not simply one thing, but by being community, we can be most of these things together. That said, expressing the beauty of the divine is uh, one of, uh, has been part of my ministry, has been part of who uh, I think we are to be, and it's, it, it comes out of this idea that the beauty of God and the beauty of the divine has been shown to me over my entire life. I mean, you all know that I come out of a small church in Stockton, California. It is historically Filipino. It is a congregation that, again, was progressive before I knew what that was. It was a congregation that loved me into being who I am and my family through struggle and crisis. And they, as a church, were t we, I was taught that the church was not just about in the pews, not only about the pews, but it was about being out. And our little small church was super active and outreach with the schools nearby. And it was this place that just said to ourselves that we have this gift, we are supposed to share it. Now, I know when folks start hearing that, we got to go share this, uh, there, there's probably some part of you that, that the hair stands up. Um, if you have history with kind of fundamentalist, conservative church background, there can be really toxic, unhealthy 
I think, spiritually violent ways people have looked at evangelism and sharing of the gospel in the past. I don't want to say that that doesn't exist. I just want us to say that that doesn't mean when we abdicate that space. I've said this over and over to this community, that part of our experience and part of our responsibility is to share the gospel as we know it. But I want us to make sure that we know why we're doing this, right? I think part of this whole mission study process and this kind of deciding about who we're going to be is because we truly want to grow. That we want to be a community that is larger than we are now. We want new people to come in and be part of this community, not only to support what we're already doing, but to help us grow. We, I, what we've heard is we want that. One of the ways that we phrased it is this. It is, it is our hope to be a multi-generational community that is made up of people from diverse experiences who are drawn to be part of this particular community, not out of obligation, but out of a deep desire to engage with others who are also drawn to a loving and justice-focused community of faith. That we want people to experience what we are experiencing. We want folks to know this Christ that we talk about in a way that isn't oppressive or isn't uh, divisive, but it's a way that, that says this is an understanding of our connection to God. And it is one that is focused on justice in the world, our faith and our growing, our empathetic spirits, and our excitement about telling the story. But the reality is that we want to grow mostly in our communities these days because we have shrunk. I'm going to start today talking a little bit about why this whole endeavor that we are about might not work. And I know we're like, wait a minute, why would we want to do that? But I think it's important. If you've gotten to know me, I think it's important to name those things that stand in our way in order for us to figure out how to move around, through, under, over, whatever it is. Because if we don't name them, they're just going to keep pulling us back, right? If you don't name the things that are, that are in front of you and weighing your, your journey down, you're, you don't just get rid of them because they just fade away. They just carry, you carry it with them. They call it baggage for a reason, right? You're kind of holding on to it and those bags get bigger and bigger. Why don't we just name them? And so I want to name some of those. And I don't, I'm not going to talk about particular instances or here's exactly why, but I hope that you'll trust that, um, that part of the reason I think you asked me to join you in this adventure this, these first four years at least was because I bring two and a half decades of church growth and thinking about what it means to be a growing congregation. That doesn't mean that small churches are not worthy congregations. I actually think that small churches are great. I come out of one. I've pastored them. But this community has said we want to be larger. So I do want to tell you why I think this might not work in a way that will remind us of the difficulty of this task. And then I'm going to tell you about why I'm excited about it. So we have to ask ourselves the question, right? The story that we're about to tell, the story that we think we have here at First Presbyterian Church of Palo Alto, if you were to tell somebody, here is who we are, and you've been doing that, why haven't you grown? Why is it that when we look back that numbers, participation, uh, even your own children, 
have failed to continue to be part of this particular community. Please do not hear blame or shame in that. You are not the only church that this has impacted, but the question for me, especially out of progressive congregations, is why haven't we grown? Why hasn't the story that we have caught on with others in a way that continues to manifest our communities? So here's what I think are four answers to that. The story is no longer worth telling, right? That is an answer that we, this story of this forward-thinking, expansive, however you want to describe a theological space, it's just not worth telling anymore. That is a way we can respond to this. No growth is going to happen if it's not worth telling. Our story is worth telling, but there's no one to hear it, right? We could decide that Christendom in the way that we've known it is completely done. And I think there are elements of Christendom that are coming to an end, which is fine. But we could say it's worth telling, but there's just nobody around here that wants to hear it anymore. So we're not gonna grow. That's fine. Third one could be our story is worth telling and it's the people's fault out there for not hearing it. Right? We can blame those out there like, they should come to us, aren't we? Isn't this story amazing? You should find us. Well, that's not the best way to be about it. But the story is still worth telling. So we have this story, it's worth telling. Maybe there's nobody out there. Maybe, well, they are not looking for it, so it's their fault. But here's where I land, and I hope that you will land, no matter where you end up, where we end up. Our story is worth telling, but we're not telling it in a way that people can hear it and respond. Our story is worth telling, but we're not telling it in a way that people can hear it and respond to it. I hope you believe that at some level, because I do not believe that the theological space that we hold, the ideological space that we hold, the public space place that we hold, I don't believe that it is dead. I don't believe it's not worth telling. I believe it's a story that the world needs to hear. If we look around us, of the pain and injustice that continues to pop up, the racial reckoning that, that we all must deal with, the way that we continue to see misogyny and ableism and all of these things, and, and the way that LGBTQIA people are continually oppressed in, in parts of our community, that, that our story is worth telling, but we need to figure out how we tell it differently. And the first thing we do, we need to do is to get over ourselves about not telling the story at all. The Matthew passage you hear all the time, I don't know how many of you think this is a guiding passage for you, but when we hear it, I think there are parts of us that we hear old missionary ways of doing this. Go and make disciples of all nations. It's a command. Right? We hear it as, you, you need to go. If you are not doing that, then you are not being a faithful Christian. And there are communities that would, would, believe, would, would teach you that, that it is your job to go out into the world and make disciples. Otherwise, you are a failure of a church. And we've seen that all over, how people have taken that and have, I think, perverted the gospel. I was in a Target not too long ago with um, my kids when they were still in town, and I'm walking down the, down the aisle, and this guy just comes up to me with a card and says, hey, can I talk to you about church? And I'm like, one, you don't have a mask on, dude. 
And two, no, like I was just this weirdest thing. We're walking down the aisle and it's almost like you, when people just kind of rush up to you these days, I am not, my first inclination is not to just be super open. And so, you know, and we've, we've seen when people are on the street corners and yelling and, and kind of that soapbox style, you've probably been a victim of, a, or the, the recipient of people who will tell you the gospel that you profess is not really faithful. I don't know how many times I've been called an apostate and a heretic online and in person because I believe in a more expansive understanding of God. But go and make disciples is only one way we translate that verse. One other way you can translate that verse, that go verb in Greek is not necessarily an imperative. It's not a command. It is translated as, as you go. As you go, make disciples. Which means for us, right? It, it allows us to not think about it in a way that is, uh, that is a colonial kind of, like we know the way, but it is as we move through the world. As you move through the world, you are still responsible for sharing the gospel that you know. We are still responsible for as we move through the world, to understand that who we are as people of faith is part of who we're supposed to be in the world. I love the phrase, as you go, go and make disciples. It doesn't feel oppressive. It feels liberating for me and be yet still challenging because for some of us, it's as we go, oh, that's right. We are supposed to make disciples. As we go, if it's convenient, we'll make disciples. But no, there's still enough challenge to say, as you go, as you move through the world, hold on to this gospel that has been shared with you. The story that we claim is important. Now we'll say there are reasons why this hasn't happened in this particular church and in others. And four reasons why you should say no to the possibilities of a growing future. So let me first say this. One reason to not do this and not take this on is small church is enough. This community as it is, is enough. That is not a negative, that is not uh, a shaming, that is not uh, blaming, that is just a reality that small church is enough for many. When you're a small church, you have access and knowledge about every single person, right? You may not know each other deeply, but you at least know the particularities of your life. When you come into a space, you recognize everyone. You, you, there's expectation about what we know and share about one another because we all are part of this, this group of people, this, this small church. It's like my home church. We all kind of know each other. We may not know each other deeply, but we kind of all know each other. And that is enough. So if that is enough for you, and this idea of being more than that is simply not something that is going to feed you, please listen to that as you share with one another. Because right now, you can, most of us, can hold in our hearts and our minds every person in this community. You can think of the 70 people or so who are pretty active and you can remember them. But think about when we get to 200 or 300 people who are active in this community again. You cannot hold that. I cannot hold that. None of us can hold that many people. So we are giving up this idea that we can know everybody even a little bit, 
but we exchange that for knowing a few more people a little more deeply. But it is important for us to ask, is this enough? I also want to acknowledge another obstacle to this will be sitting in the back of our heads somewhere. We've tried this before. We've spent money before. We've hired for growth before. We've had great ideas from somebody that stood before us and told us that, yes, this is a great thing to do. We've done this before. And if we don't acknowledge that, that will continue to pull us into hesitancy and weigh us back. Yes, you have tried multiple things before. You and every church in this country have tried things for growth. Some of them have worked, some of them have not. So I'm not even saying don't, you know, just forget the history. What I'm saying is acknowledge that it's there so that we can decide when it shows up if it is at real risk and hesitancy or if we're just holding on to experiences of the past. It's the second obstacle. The third obstacle is this. This is an impatient place and urgency reigns. This is, I think, cultural for this area. Those of us that uh, get our worth from things we accomplish, those who have a lot of time on their hands right now and just want things to get done quickly, this is a long journey. This is a journey that is not simply gonna happen overnight. Part of the reason is because we don't have the people as part of this community who we are trying to reach yet. So I don't want us to say, yes, let's do it. And then in three or six months or nine months or a year to say back, well, why hasn't it worked? Why haven't all of these people shown up? Can we be patient enough? That's our third reason, thing we need to think about before we dive in. And the last one is almost the most important one that we need to know that these aren't just my dreams for you, but these are dreams that you might have for yourself, that you might have as a congregation, not just what I have seen and what I think. And I don't wanna have to convince you that your story that you've had and lived for decades before is continuing to be worth sharing. I can bring you ideas, I can bring you some leadership, I can help us to think forward a little bit, but ultimately this idea has to be yours. Pastors come and go. You have lived through multiple pastors in this place. We are, we play a role, we're important. I think we, there, are, there are moments where you have connected with different pastors over your lifetime here, but this congregation is not about your pastoral leadership. It's about who you hope to become, and then you bring leadership in that is part of that journey. Now we are trying to co-create this together. We have entered into this designated pastor time that has given us time to decide. But I wanna say to you, and it's weird, I know, that this has to be your dream. This has to be the thing that you hope for in this church more than even me, more than Andy, more than our, our staff, more than any of us who are here because we work with you and for you to help those dreams become real. So those are your obstacles. The questions that we need to ask ourselves, is this enough? You've tried this before. Can we be patient and do we own this? But let me tell you why I think it can work. 
Let me tell you why I'm excited about this particular pillar. I love when people experience faith for the first time. The greatest joys in my ministry are adult baptisms, are times where people come into a sanctuary and are exploring faith for the first time, genuinely for the first time, and we get to say to folks, here is why we are in this place. So there are four areas that I think we can think about as we go through this. The first is this, is to have authentic invitation to understand that it is genuinely how we invite people into this space. And when I say this space, I don't mean the sanctuary, but the space meaning our community. Pastors are the worst people to invite folks to church because everybody tells us yes, or they run away. There's very few middle ground, right? If I go to somebody and say, hey, I'm the pastor of First Presbyterian Church, you should come. If they want me to go away quickly, they'll say, sure. Or they're going to be like, dude, and they just kind of walk away. Authentic invitation will only come from you. It will come from you. It'll come from interacting. It'll come from taking a risk and telling people about what we're doing. It's going to come from a genuine place that you think this is a place that you would invite people to be part of whether it's a small group or it's a worship experience or it's a, a study, whatever it is, right? That you actually want that. So the question is, do you believe this? You should believe that this is a story worth telling. So the first is cultural, right? An authentic place of, of invitation. The next one, and I'll get some specifics, is about having a joyful sense of welcome. Are we intentionally thinking about people who are not here yet? Are our lenses about who we are more focused outwardly or are they more focused inwardly? Now, I, don't, I wanna be very careful with this. I think I got, I got a little critique last week about not talking enough about how we take care of ourselves. A church never has to be reminded to take care of itself. Now, maybe last week I could have shared more about how I see that happening, certainly, but I will say to you, I don't know how many churches I've served in my lifetime, seven or eight. We never have to say to ourselves, we need to pay attention to us more. We do that naturally. What we don't do is genuinely pay attention to those who are not yet here. There's a reason that every worship service I say, if you're visiting with us, here are the things that we do. Right? That is not jump because that's what I was taught in seminary to do. That is because my lens has always been about welcoming new people in. What I want us to do as a community, again, is to not think that by welcoming new people in, we're not going to pay attention to us, but to shift our lenses to joyfully embrace the ways in which we need to change what we do so that we can welcome people in, in a way that they can hear the story. What it means is we discern what's really important, right? If I were to say, uh, you know, two years ago, we're gonna do hybrid worship and da 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 da, right? We would have all been like, no, nah, I don't think so. If I were to say two years ago, we're gonna have communion every Sunday, there might've been some of you who were like, yes. Others were like, well, we can't do that, and here's all the reasons why. If I were to say to you, we're taking all the pews out, that when you come back next week, they're not going to be here, and everybody just online just kind of freaked out right now. But let's think about the things that are, and I'm not pushing that, please do not hear that. I know some of you are like, yes, others, that's not one of those. But let's just think about the things that are important to us 
that might make folks feel more welcome. It may be setting, it may be style, it may be a lot of things, but we need to own those things without feeling like we're going to lose something or that we're going to gain resentment. If we can't welcome people in without genuine joy, folks will know that they're not welcome. The last part of that is we need to fight every urge to see new people as a tool for institutional survival. We need to see new people as a way that God is speaking into our spirits and our space in order to expand our experience of who God is in the world. We need to do that in a way that when folks get to know us, they walk into a space, they are part of a gathering, they're, they're intrigued by a genuine welcome. And not simply, a, we're glad you're here so you can take care of what we already do. We're glad you're here because you are providing us with another experience of God. Those are two cultural shifts, and there's two more I want to give you that are more specific. The first, the one specific thing that I think in order to do this, a possible way of thinking about this, is we have got to engage in more creative storytelling. We have a myth in progressive churches, mainline churches, that if the theology is good enough, people will find us. If our theological space, our politics, our ideology, if it is good enough, people will find us. That is not true. There are many, many places where the theology is forward-thinking and expansive. There's a lot of places where we'll share something in one part, but we don't share it out. The myth that people will just find us as we know is not true. And so if we're going to share our story in the world, we have got to be more creative. And I'm not talking about, let's just get on Twitter, let's just get on Instagram. Those are basic things that, that we've been doing as long as I've been here with you. We actually need to think even further than that and be about design and digital storytelling that is consistent, that is supported, that is creative, and it's forward thinking. I'll give you a great example. If you were to talk, if people ask about social media here at this church, I know folks have said, Bruce wants us to do social media in this church and some people are not into it and they don't feel like they're gonna do it, which is fine. But I wanna be very clear with you about our digital storytelling. I am not the person to do that with you. I am a 52 year old parent. I'm a bridge person, right? Some of you are the age of my parents. Well, some of my parents, you might be here, right? I'm that. And then I have kids, right, who are in their 20s. I am not the person to tell that story to that generation. So we as a community have to be willing to see digital storytelling, creativeness, much more beyond what you and I would even hear. Or what does it mean to be on some platforms and to use some things in a way that is genuine for us? That's the digital storytelling, the creativity that we need to have somebody push me and us to be out there in a way that is authentic to who we are, but pushes us to share our story in ways that we probably wouldn't have done before. We've got to do more creative storytelling. And the last thing about sharing the uh, complexity and the the beauty of uh, the divine is this. We have got to have more inspirational gatherings in this place. We, uh, what we've understood over pandemic, and this is across the board, is that obligation and habit are not enough to keep people attending and being connected to congregations. 
before we could guilt people because we didn't see them or they'd feel guilty because we didn't see them. But now with pandemic and online, people have to want to be with us. And we can no longer rely on simple obligation and habit as the, base, the, the strongest motivator for people to be engaged in what we do. We have to create gatherings and events and uh, anything that have people missing out if they don't connect. Some of you may know the term FOMO, right? Fear of missing out. What it means is that, gosh, something's happening over here. I want to be part of it. Or I really am going to actually carve out time on Sunday because what we do on Sunday mornings is really important and I don't want to miss it. And if I miss it, then I feel like I have not connected somewhere. I think for some of you, 10 o'clock might be that. But for others, this service, this particular gathering is truly too traditional. It's liturgical in a particular way. It's creative, but it doesn't push the boundaries of what it means to gather. And I don't want to destroy it. Please hear that. I do not want to dismantle 10 a.m. I don't think that that is the right way to go. This is a nurturing place for you. For many of you, this is a place where some people are seeking. I also do not feel like we need to dismantle early church. Early church is a unique experience of people gathering in a particular way and doing a particular thing. What I would push us to do if we really want to do this is to add a third service. And I know some of you just went, oh, another service? I actually think we can create something that is much more creative, much more expansive, musically, liturgically, artistically, intersectionally, what it means to really expand how we, we share things out. We can be more non-geographic. There are ways that we can engage people beyond just our local community. There are people who are yearning to engage in a more heart, a more spiritual way that would continue to move us forward. We're going to play with some of that over these next few in Lent as we begin to think about that stuff. But I want us to think about this. If we are going to grow, if you decide that you want to grow, if we decide we want to do that together, we're gonna, we have to develop a posture of welcome and invitation. We're going to have to figure out a new way to tell the story outside of our own walls and ways that we've been doing it before. And we have to build experiences that draw people here, that draw people together. Again, this last pillar is at the end for a reason. We have done all the work that leads up to this. And now you're being called as you go to go out and make disciples. Let us pray. Holy and amazing God, for the spirit that continues to move us and the spirit that compels us into the world, we give you thanks. We would ask that you would continue to challenge us, continue to inspire, continue to comfort us as we continue to grow together. Whatever journeys and paths we take, we ask that you would remind us of your presence with us on each of them. And for this community, we give you thanks. We pray all of this in the name of Christ and God's people say, amen.